0: Thank you, Andrew, and good afternoon, everybody, and uh, thanks for that introduction, Andrew. I I always listen very closely to uh, (coughs) the the way that the introduction goes. Ever since I heard a story about Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt, the wife of the American president back in the, what was it, the 1940s, Um, (coughs) thanks for mentioning that I was here in the 70s, by the way, I think that really, really made my day. You can calculate how old I am now. But uh, apparently Mrs. Roosevelt was visiting a city in the Midwest of the United States and the first time they'd ever had you know, the First Lady visiting there. So the job fell for the Mayor to introduce her on the big day. And he gathered together his advisors because he was a little bit nervous about you know, how do you introduce such a visitor and they, they reassured him and they said, Look, don't worry, she's so well known, you'll hardly need to say anything at all. So the big day came and the Mayor got up on the podium and he said, ''Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mrs Roosevelt. the back.'' And the less said, the better. <laughs> so on uh, that note, thank you, Andrew, for your introduction. And thank you for the invitation to be here today. It's a terrific opportunity. Um, I was at a dinner table conversation uh, a little while back, six people sitting around the table. We finished the meal... We're, at, we're through the dessert stage to the kind of uh, second glass of wine stage, and uh, the, the conversation became quite intellectual. And, and uh, one of the guys at the table said, You know, let's get around the table and let's share what's the biggest idea that you've ever come across in your life? And various people gave various answers. Some people talked about relationships, and others talked about happiness and success and so on and it came to my turn and they all looked at me and I said the biggest idea I've ever come across in my life and the most significant one is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead where did that stop the conversation (laughs) but they they heard me out because i I'd listened to them talk about the biggest idea in their life and they listened to me and you know it's amazing How rarely the average person thinks about eternity. I think uh, the average Australian's notion of eternity is about as firm as a pillow. You might have heard of Arthur Stace who uh, spent 37 years writing the word eternity on the streets of Sydney. His sidewalk sermon, as it was called, it's estimated that he wrote it 500,000 times in chalk. The story is that in 1932, he attended church and heard a sermon and the preacher said, the Bible says there is only one eternity and God is in charge of it. And then the preacher departed from his notes and he said something like, how I wish that word eternity were written across the streets of Sydney to remind everybody about the importance of eternity. So Arthur states, Apparently took the preacher at his word and went out and spent the next 37 years writing the word eternity. But I guess whenever he wrote that word, he was wanting to remind all who read that word that there is more to life than this life, that there is an eternity, and in fact posing the question, wasn't he? Where will you spend eternity? Eternity is a long time. I mean, if you were to, for example, go down to Sydney Harbour on the 1st of January each year with a teaspoon and take a teaspoon of water out of Sydney Harbour and spill it onto the soil and then wait a whole year and go back on the 1st of January the next year and take another teaspoon of water, imagine how long it would take to empty Sydney Harbour. Eternity goes for a long eternity. That would only be the beginning. Of eternity goes for a long time. And I want to say today that if you're not grappled with eternity and the God who's in charge of eternity, then you need to be. You need to be. Especially when you think about the question of success read a great quote about success this week. If at first you don't succeed, then so much for skydiving. <laughs> I like that. Success is not a sin. I want to say that right up front. Success is not a sin. You know, the Bible is not against success. Success has a certain utility. Uh, a Hollywood actor said recently, I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich wins. Success is something that in some sense we all need to do to survive, to put bread on the table, etc. Failure is not particularly Christian. Abraham was wealthy. Lydia and others in the early church were successful in business. The wisdom literature of the Bible, for example in Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10, talks about things like this. Skill will bring success. I guess that's why we spend number of years at university building up our skills Proverbs 15:22. many advisors make for success so the Bible seems to have a somewhat neutral view about it uh, neither poverty nor prosperity is the Bible's attitude uh, instead contentment should be my approach to money and career and so on of course that's not the end of the story about success success as you will discover as, as you go on in your life is a hard taskmaster uh, it takes its pound of flesh to be successful. There are no free lunches. You only get out of your career what you put in, in terms of blood, sweat and tears. First you did the HSC, then you did three to five years of university, Then you owe thousands of dollars of hex, and you start at the bottom of the corporate ladder. Years of slog, long hours, office politics, tax rate close to 50%, sacrifices, delay in starting a family by the age of 40. If you're lucky, you've reached senior management just in time to be retrenched. Because you're obsolete. Success is also deceptive. Boris Becker, the... Former world number one tennis player said this: When you get to the top, there's nothing there. The goalpost keeps shifting. Once your goal was the HSC, now it's your degree. Then you'll realise that that was just getting you to the starting blocks. We think we are taking control of our career, when really it's taking control of us. Success as a way of fooling us, like advertising. Success is also very unfair. Uh, it will come easily to some. It will come only after a struggle to others, and it will never come to many others. Success involves the winner's curse. I remember the story of the poor man who's cleaning a rich man's shoes. The poor man looks up and says, I, "I long to be like you one day. but the rich man says, I'd rather be in your shoes again because, unlike you, I have nothing to look forward to. Perhaps all of this is why the Bible says in Proverbs 23 verse 4, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. But I know that uh, none of those portions will turn you off still driving for success. The real problem with success is that there is another world besides this one. When I was about your age, there was an older guy who pulled me up one day and he said this to me. He said, you're off to university and you've got big plans, but I want to ask you a question. He said, who is weaving your dreams? Nobody had ever asked me a question like that before. Uh, I had automatically assumed up to that point that since it was my life I should read my own dreams. I mean that's the most logical thing in the world isn't it? The idea that somebody else should have a say in my dreams in life was preposterous to me. But then he proceeded to continue. He said there are two worlds. He said there's the everyday world The everyday world of parents and kids and boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives, bosses and workers, banks and mortgages, bottom lines, deadlines, headlines, traffic jams, school exams, birthdays and takeaways. Not in somebody works, but something like that. And he said, we all live in the everyday world. But there's another world, it's called the everlasting world, It's the world of miracles and moments, of origins and destinies, of hopes and heartaches, of knowing and believing, of heaven and hell, of now times and end times, of ancient scriptures, future judgment, worship and wonder. And it's the the world of men rising from the dead. And he said, whatever your dream is in life, if it only addresses the everyday world and doesn't give you a plan for the everlasting world, then it's not going to work. And boy that got me thinking you see death rudely interrupts the successful person JD Rockefeller is dead Einstein is dead Elvis is dead. you can go over there to the uh, to the main quadrangle building of Sydney University you can see photographs of Graduate students of years past from the 1920s, 1930s, 1890s, they look exactly like you. They're just like you. Young, intelligent, have the opportunity, hardworking, got their whole life ahead of them. Exactly like you, except there's one difference. Every one of them is dead and one day you will be dead. It's simply a fact. Death rudely interrupts the successful person. If you don't have a strategy for the everlasting world, not just the everyday world, then you're in trouble. The Apostle Paul arrives in Athens in Acts chapter 17 and he walks around and he notices that they have an altar to an unknown God. You may not even be aware that success is your God. Uh, when I say to people, I like to say to people, everybody is religious. And some people say, hang on a minute, I don't go to church, I don't believe in any religion, no, I'm not religious. But the Bible says everyone is religious because every person follows or worships a God in inverted comments. They had made an altar to an unknown God just in case there were any gods that they had left out. They had altars all over the city to as many gods as they had heard of And in case there was one that they hadn't heard of, they built an altar to an unknown God. Paul says, now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. God made you. In case nobody's bothered to mention where you came from up to this point, sometimes that slips through the cracks. And then Paul goes on to give God's recipe for eternity, a blueprint for eternity. In a kind of climactic verse of this whole thing, in verse 31 he says, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. See, here we have it, the, the collision of two worlds, that. The, two, the the clash of, of the everyday and the everlasting world, and, and I want to say today that eternity is not the right thing to be wrong about. After all, the dead are just the living are just the dead on vacation, and Paul states it quite clearly here, doesn't he? I want you to to think about the implications of this for success what, what real success is in life God has fixed a day when he will judge all people and has given proof of this by raising this man Jesus Christ from the dead Paul is saying first of all it matters what I believe it's very common today to imagine that it doesn't matter what I believe all religions are basically the same As long as you're sincere, you can have your own personal view of God. Each culture sees God in its own way. I had a conversation with a friend recently. He said, you know, religion is just like politics. Each person has their own opinion. I said, yeah, except no politician has ever risen from the dead. That's a truth claim, which you don't normally get from politics. The resurrection... Jesus Christ from the dead stands right at the centre of Christianity. The fact that he was bodily raised. The fact that it really happened. The fact that that has something to do with us in 2003. Paul is proclaiming the resurrection here. He's saying that God has raised this man Jesus from the dead. And that provides a demonstration that what he's saying about eternity has veracity and validity. In the 1930s a Christian scholar was writing a book on the resurrection and an important truth dawned on him afresh and he got up from his chair and he he paced around the study repeating to himself these words Christ is alive. Christ is alive today. Christ is alive. Christ is alive today. uh, He was writing a book about it and suddenly the reality of it flooded in on him. And perhaps you've been invited along today by a friend. And uh, it's a long time since you've even considered Christianity. Perhaps you thought Christianity was about good works and moral performance. Christianity is about the claim that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now you can try to uh, reshape reality in a way that leaves that out. If you're lucky. You, you can try drawing a giraffe without a long neck, but you won't be drawing a giraffe. You can try to draw a camel without a hump, but it won't be a camel. A triangle without three sides, it's not a triangle. Australia without Tasmania, or maybe it would be, but <laughs> A pavlova without cream, it definitely won't be a pavlova. You can try to make your own reality without Jesus Christ risen from the dead and standing ahead of you in time waiting to judge the world, but it won't be reality. It will be something that you've made up. Imagine that uh, a guy doesn't believe that trains run on Sunday. So he goes for a drive, gets in his car, comes to a level crossing, the gates are down, the lights are flashing, the bells are ringing, but he doesn't believe trains run on Sunday because after all truth is just a matter of opinion and all people's views are equally valid so he proceeds across the level crossing BAM! He discovers that all truth are not equally valid. Suppose you were to go home and there's your car parked in the driveway and somebody's sitting in your car and you walk up to that person and you say hang on a second, what are you doing in my car? They say, this is my car. You say, wait a minute, that's my car. The guy says, no, 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 wait a minute, we've just had the International Year of Tolerance. Um, we need to be tolerant of each other's point of view. And uh, according to my truth, my reality, this is my car. You say, wait a minute, I've got the registration papers, I've paid, you know, it all, I've got the ownership, I have legal rights, etc., etc. He says, now wait a minute, you're not going to start shoving your view of the truth down my throat, are you? You say, you betcha I am. There is such a thing as true and false. You and I practice it every day when it affects us. When God sends Jesus to die on the cross for sinners and raises him from the dead, and then causes the Bible to be written so that we can know the truth about eternity and life and God and everything. He's simply stating what is true. Do fish swim in the sea? Does two plus two equals four? Does it freeze over in the Arctic? Can Ian thought swim a hundred metres? Do trees lose their leaves in the autumn? Will we all be a day older tomorrow? Do birds fly south in the winter? Does Sydney have a harbor bridge? Is Homer Simpson a social misfit? Is Jesus Christ risen from the dead and the one and only truth about eternity? Yes. The first thing that Paul is saying here is that it matters what I believe. God has fixed a day when he will judge what you believe and has given proof of that by raising Jesus from the dead second thing that Paul wants us to see is this it matters how I treat Jesus Christ I remember the story about the uh, the um, (coughs) United States uh, President who's driving along in a taxi and uh, he's late for a meeting he's uh, he's got a, a limo, not a taxi but a limo driver I suppose for the President and he's running late, and he says, uh, Can you step on it? I'm, I'm late for my meeting. And the, uh, the taxi driver says, I'm sorry, Mr. President, but I need to obey the speed limit. I can't go any faster. The President says, Look, I'll, I'll give you 25 bucks if you want <laughs> to go a little bit faster and get me there early. And uh, the driver says, No, I, I can't do that. So again, uh, he tries, but he fails. Finally, the uh he, it works he, he gives him $100 and the tax the, the limo driver speeds up and he's doing 148 uh, k's down the, down the freeway and a policeman spots them and the policeman pulls them over the policeman takes one look in the, in the car and doesn't say a word. immediately gets on his walkie talking back to base he says base I think we've got a situation here I mean we've got a VIP booked to speed what should I do and the base says "Booking." He says, now, hang on a I minute, mean, I don't think you quite understand the situation. We've got somebody very important here. And the police say, booking. him. And now, what's happened is that the taxi driver, the limo driver, wasn't willing to break the speed limit. So, but for a hundred bucks, he was willing to let the president get in the front and drive. And the limo driver's sitting in the back. So... finally, as a laughter, the last the, the policeman says to base, look this guy is so important, I'm going to lose my job over this, I don't think we should go ahead, and the base says, well just how impressive, how, how important is this guy? And the policeman says, well I'm not quite sure, but he's got the American president as his driver. <laughs> 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 I want to say, and the Apostle Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is very, very, very very, 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 very important. God is fixed today when he will judge the whole world by this one man. It's difficult growing up in the countries that I, I grew up in, Australia, and perhaps where you grew up, understanding the concept of absolute rule. We don't have a king. I mean, we have the Queen of England. She lives 10,000 miles away. But we don't have royalty here. But once I had the opportunity to visit one of those countries, not Britain, another one that had a fantastic palace, and you did a tour of this palace and, and the grounds and everything. The whole the whole setup of a king really opens your eyes. You went into this palace. There were two throne rooms, a small one and a large one, and a golden throne sitting right in the middle of that throne room. And they had uh, 332 paintings. Famous paintings from Leonardo da, Vincio, da Vinci and many others all around. They had 12 different types of timber in the intricate parquetry flooring. They had crystal chandeliers, silverware, 100,000 pieces of them. They had portraits of generals and, and great battle conquests that the king had made. And then when he went outside the palace, there was a grand square and there were buildings, row upon row, where the soldiers, the foot soldiers and the horsemen used to live, ready at a, at a moment's command to, to give their lives for the king. You see, it's just overwhelming. You, in, in a modern democracy, you don't have a picture of what, it, what it's like to have an absolute ruler, an absolute monarch, with absolute power. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. One day, all of the presidents, prime ministers, all the kings, all the archbishops, all the university vice chancellors, yes, even then, all the professors all the company directors will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ this single man and be judged by him we don't like that I remember taking my daughter into a bookstore one time and I uh, wanted to go and browse the books a little bit and uh, they had a kind of a child mining area there so I put her there and I said look you stay here for a little while I'll go and do some browsing. Well, she didn't like that idea at all. She just opened her lungs and let out the loudest scream. In a quiet bookstore, it was very embarrassing. People popping their heads up from behind the shelf, wondering where is this calamity coming from, and I had to quickly give up that idea. She was rebelling against what I was saying. You and I rebel against the kingship of God. don't We, 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 we don't like the idea that... There's somebody, Jesus, who is in charge of me. That really gets right here. That's the issue that the Bible regards as sin. Paul talks about it here. He says, in the past God overlooked such ignorance. Before we become a Christian we are simply ignorant of the truth about Jesus. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent which means to have a change of attitude, a change of direction. Are you sitting in a staring contest across the table with God wondering who's going to blink first? Come on God, I'm not going to blink, you blink first. God never blinks. Are you kind of, have you been spending years sort of having an arm wrestle with God about, you know, coming to a a sort of uh, equal compromise, a, a view of religion and your life that you and God can both live with or something like that. God never loses our results. It matters how I treat Jesus. Am I treating him as the king of the world and the judge of the earth? That's a big claim. Here we are at a lunchtime meeting, Sydney University, 2003, and we're making an absolute truth claim like that. I understand it's not easy to receive and digest in a short space of time. You might need more time to think about that. But Paul is saying that God fixed today when He will judge the world, and has given proof of this by raising Jesus from the dead. Well, if it matters what a person believes and it matters how I treat Jesus then I want to say thirdly and finally that it matters that I'm ready I need to be ready for that day that day of judgement that the Bible talks about you might have heard of John Grisham John Grisham's a, a best selling novelist he's written a number of books that have been turned into Hollywood movies like Time to Kill The Firm the Pelican Brief, the Client, and so on, and has sold over 40 million books. John Grisham is also a committed Christian. He teaches Sunday school on the weekend. He tells the story of how he became a Christian. He said, one of my best friends in university died when he was 25, just a few years after we'd both graduated from law school, from Mississippi State University. He called me up one day before that, before he died obviously, and wanted to get together. So we had lunch, and he told me that he had terminal cancer. I couldn't believe it. I asked him, what do you do when you realise you're about to die? He said, it's real simple. You spend as much time with, with those you love as you can. You settle up with everybody else. And you make sure that God knows your name. Make sure that God knows your name. And that's the question I want to leave with you today. Does God know you by name? God promises that when we repent and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be raised up on that day, given a new body, given everlasting life, given forgiveness of sins, granted eternal life with him. That's a ironclad promise that God makes. I don't know about you, but in the light of all that I want you to find true success this way. True success is putting the last things first. The last thing in your story is going to be after all your career is finished and you've had your family and you've got your house in Sydney if you ever get that at today's prices and you've saved up your superannuation and you've enjoyed a comfortable retirement and then you die, then you stand before the judgment seat of the living God. The last turning point in your story, the very last thing, will be the verdict on that day. Did you treat Jesus as your king or not? True success will be defined on that day as putting the last things first in this life. See, the most important thing that the Bible says about success is that it's not the most important thing. so easy to... Give up the most important thing for the least important thing. Let me finish with a story about Groucho Marx, which I've always remembered because it's a true story, but it makes the point. Groucho Marx, one of the famous Marx brothers, when he was first starting out his career in show business, was working as a kind of a, a two bit actor on Broadway at very low pay in New York and they only had enough really to pay their food and board, they, they didn't have anything left over. And he would go walking down Broadway in the summer evenings and he would always pass a popcorn vendor. and he recalled how the smell of this popcorn was just overpowering and how much he longed to have some of this popcorn, but he couldn't afford it on his low wage. But one day, after weeks of resisting, it got the better of him. The only thing of value he had on him was a fountain pen, which his grandmother had given him, a family heirloom, very precious and treasured to him. But that particular day, somehow the popcorn became more important. And he decided he did a trade: fountain pen for a, 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 a cup of popcorn. And he recalls how about ten minutes later when the popcorn was gone, The overwhelming sense of remorse. He had traded the fountain pen that was the one thing that was really precious to me for a bucket of popcorn. That's what a person does when they make success the most important thing in their life, and they neglect the whole God question, and they fail to become somebody who God knows their name. How do you become a Christian? A, B, C. Admit, believe, commit. A stands for admit. Admit that, as the Apostle Paul says, in the past I've been living in a kind of ignorance and haven't been treating Jesus as I should treat him. And I need to reassess that whole... B stands for believe believe what the Bible claims about Jesus that he is the son of God that his death on the cross is sufficient payment for sins, that he has risen from the dead and that he will be the one who will judge and C stands for commit commit from this day forward through faith to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ to trust in Him for your eternal security and to obey Him as King. Admit, believe, commit. I'm going to provide an opportunity for you to take that step today. I'm going to play a prayer. Maybe you're not used to praying, that's okay. We're just going to talk to God. And uh, let me read the words of the prayer first because I want you to have opportunity to think about these words if you don't agree with the prayer and you don't believe in God and you don't want to be a Christian that's fine don't don't say I'm at the end of the prayer but perhaps today God has been speaking to you and you understand for the first time the gist of the Christian message and you want to become a follower of Jesus this is what I'll pray listen to the words first living God I begin to realise I've been engaged in a personal war with you that I can't win I no longer want to go in that direction. Help me to see eternity as you see it. To believe in your son Jesus, to treat him as my king, and to trust him as my saviour. And on that day, when I stand before you, to be certain you will know me by name. I'm going to pray that prayer. I invite everyone to please bow their heads. Let's pray. living God, I begin to realize I've been engaged in a personal war with you that I cannot win. I no longer want to go in that direction. Help me to see eternity as you see it. To believe in your son Jesus, to treat him as my king, to trust in him as my saviour. And on that day when I stand before you to be certain that you will know my name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.